guys are with us. I, I hope that you've had a great morning already and it, it's been a good day for you. I want to know, I, I want you to know personally, it's good to be back, all right? Um, I've been gone for about two weeks. I've been in the Dominican and then last weekend we got in late on Saturday night. I spent Sunday morning at our South Strand campus and had a phenomenal experience there. It was awesome worshiping with them. Great things are happening. Uh, today they had a larger attendance than last week with more new people. So, so things are going great at our South Strand. And uh, I loved being able to experience it and, and be there. But I also love the fact that I'm back in Conway today, okay? Because y'all are my people, and I, and I love being able to, to see you and to be able to spend some time with you today. Um, so, so thankful for that. I, I want to remind you, Peyton got up at the beginning, and he talked about this, but, but just a simple, quick reminder, Easter is coming, and Easter's a big deal, okay? Um, Easter's a big deal because it's a day that we really sit, uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so it's big, and we celebrate that every week, but, but it's also a big deal because more people will accept an invitation to church on that weekend than really any other time of the year. Christmas and Easter, people will be more apt to say, okay, I'll go with you. So I want to encourage you, use those invites. They're on the doors, they're in the chairs and at the doors. On your way out, grab a couple and take it to some of your friends and invite them to come to an Easter service with you, all right? And on this campus, we have an Easter egg hunt. We have um, a uh, Saturday night service, our normal three. We have a night of worship. We've got extra ones in Aner, uh, service in South Strand. And on that weekend, we are doing a baptism weekend. Um, which, which this is what I believe. On Easter weekend at our South Strand campus, we're going to experience our first baptism uh, for that campus ever, okay? Now, I'm saying that with confidence that somebody's going to get baptized. I don't know if anybody signed up, but I'm confident that it's going to happen. And uh, we do baptisms every Sunday here at The Rock. But on that weekend, we are uh, calling it a baptism Sunday. And if you've been thinking about getting baptized... Man, Easter is a great weekend to do that, all right? So, so sign up either at the Connect Wall or through the app, all right? Now, let me, let me just dive right back into our series. We started it two weeks ago. This series is called If, um, and, and we're really kind of saying if, then. It's kind of this idea that anytime there's an if, if is a conditional clause and something always follows it. So we said in week one that if you fear God, then you will gain wisdom. And we talked about it from this area of, of deconstructing a faith and, and reconstructing our faith that the best place to start is with the fear of God. And then last week we added to that, we said, if the Bible is true, then we should trust it, all right? We talked about then why don't we trust it, and we came up with good reasons on why we should. So if I fear God, then I'll gain wisdom. If the Bible is true, then I should trust it. This week, we're going to say this. If it is wrong, then why do I feel this way? Now, there's a lot of directions I could have went with that. I, I could have changed the back end. I, I could have said it this way. If it is wrong, then I hope I don't get, get, get caught. Right? Ever been there before? Come on, let's admit it. Like, Mike, I know you have, right? We've, we've all done this. We've said, well, if it's wrong, I hope I don't get caught. Am I alone? 
Everybody's with me? Okay, right? Like, we've been there, right? We could have said it this way. If it is wrong, then why does everybody doing it? Uh, if it is wrong, then why does it feel right? But, but I wanted to hit it from this angle, that if it is wrong, then why do I feel this way? And I specifically want to talk about that statement around the topic of sex and sexuality and sexual freedom. And we're doing that for this reason is because we're talking about deconstructing faith. That, that in, the, in the world in which we live, that's a, a phrase a lot of people will use. And the topic of sex is one of the major reasons why people walk away from their faith. So, so I want to talk about it because what we've done is we've confused sex uh, or sexuality and our identity. We've confused those because of how we feel. So let's talk about how we feel today. And I know right now, as soon as I say that we're going to talk about sex, some of you are feeling a little squirmish. Am I right? That, that some of you are like, um, I've got my child in the room with me, and uh, I don't know if I want them to hear what, what is going to be said. You probably don't. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you, if you happen to have a, a little one with you, right now would be a great time to go to Kids Rock, all right? Uh, take them to Kids Rock. Some of you don't have kids, but you're going to pretend like you have a kid, and you're going to be like, I don't want to hear it either, and I'm going to leave. Because you might be sitting there going, I'm feeling a little squirmish because, well, I'm afraid you might say something that, that hits a little too close to home. You might say something that I don't know if I agree with. You might say something that I'm dealing with, or you might say something that my friend or my family member is struggling with or dealing with. And to that, I'll say this. You're right. I probably will. Let me just tell you that straight up. Probably will today. I've said this around the topic of sex when I talk about sex here. Uh, Oftentimes, I like to think of myself as an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> that I offend everybody the same way. But I actually want to say it different today. Today I want to be an equal opportunity encourager. Because here's what we're going to talk about today. I want to encourage you to be holy that in all aspects of sexuality, in all things that deal with sex, I want to encourage us, let's be holy. Because that's what God is desiring of us. So, so if that's the case, let's look at how to be holy. And, and I'm going to talk about it with, with grace and truth. I, I want you to make sure you can catch that that, that. that everything I say today is going to be from a place of grace. That, that I love you and I care about you and I'm thankful for you and I'm glad that you're here, whether you're here for the first time or you come all the time. Everything I say is going to come from a place of grace, knowing that you are loved. But it also, I'm going to communicate truth. And here's why. If I don't communicate with you the truth that I believe God points us towards, then I don't really love you. I know that might sound weird, but if I didn't communicate truth to my own children, then I don't really love my children. And in the same way, if I don't communicate truth to the church that God has called me to, to lead, then I don't love you very well either. So today, with 
every ounce of love I have, I'm going to communicate grace, but I'm also going to communicate truth. Because the truth is, God is calling every one of us, myself, every one of us, in this area to holiness. So we, we got to start. Well, is it wrong, right? Like, like, if it is wrong, well, to say if it is wrong, we first got to ask the question, is it wrong? Like, is sex or is certain sexual practices wrong? And we would probably all have differing opinions on that. Like on some things, we would all, my guess is be in 100% lockstep. Like, like my guess is that every one of us in this room, everybody listening online, we would all say that rape, that child molestation, that sex trafficking, that, that, that we would say those things, they're all wrong. Like I, my, I'm confident all of us would go, nope, nope, that's wrong. Then there's some things that we would probably all say, well, that's probably wrong, like polygamy. But then there's other things where we would say, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think that's wrong. But somebody else might go, well, I don't know. Uh, things like uh, pornography, um, multiple sex partners, having sex before you're married, uh, self-gratification, uh, homosexuality. Like, like we would talk about some of those, and some of us would say, well, that's definitely wrong, and others would say, well, I don't know if that's wrong. Well, how do we know? When it, when it comes to, to different things like that, like, how do we know what is right and what is wrong? And for me, I'm going to encourage us just to look and see what God says about sex, because he talks about it a lot in Scripture. And, and what I would say God says about sex is actually a statement. It's a statement that, that, that I believe. It's a statement that, that I live by and I, I try to practice in my life. It's a statement that as a church that we would hold to this statement. And here's the statement. That God created mankind in his image. And he assigned them gender, man and woman. A sexual intimacy was designed to be experienced between a man and a woman inside the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is considered sin. Right? And, and this statement is born out of all those verses listed underneath it. But, but let me pick it apart for just a second. That it says, God created mankind in his image and assigned them gender, man and woman. Well, we talked about that several weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into that. You can go listen to the message from a few weeks ago. And then it goes on and says this. It says, sexual intimacy was designed to be experienced between a man and woman inside the confines of marriage. That Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is all about that. That, that in Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about how God created mankind, but he brought them together, and the two became one flesh. Like, I want us to make sure we hear this, that sex was created by God as a good gift. That sex is good. It's when we put it in its wrong context, that's when it's wrong. That's when it's bad. That's when we're not following the way God prescribed. And what God says is this, that, that he designed it to be between a man and a woman inside the confines of marriage. Now look at this last start statement. Anything outside of that is considered sin. Anything outside of that is considered sin. So, so we can look at these other verses that Matthew 5 talks about lust, so that's sin. Matthew 19 talks about adultery and affairs and, and divorce, so sin. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18 goes into a list of different sexual practices that would be considered sin. 
That Ephesians 5.3 says don't have a hint of sexual immorality. That 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says don't, um, don't involve yourself or participate in sexual immorality, but use your life for holiness. So if we look at the totality of Scripture, what we would see is God says sex is good, sex is right, but when we put it in the wrong context, in the wrong place, between the wrong people, that is when it is wrong. So what God says is when it comes to sex, walk in holiness. And what holiness means is to simply do what's right. So when you think about sexuality and sex and sexual freedom, then what I simply want to do is encourage you to be holy. Maybe the easiest way for me to do that is to share a guy's testimony. Um, the, the guy, uh, his name is Dr. Christopher Yawn. You spell it Y-A-U-N. And um, he wrote a book. The book is actually called Holy Sexuality. So, so what he is saying is that in all things, when it comes to sex and sexuality, walk in holiness. And, and as I read this book, it was by far the best book I've ever read on sex and sexuality. Like, incredible book, all right? Now, I'm going to tell you his story. And his story, definitely, there's a way that he walked out his sexual practice. I don't want you to focus only on that, that though. I want you to think about sex as a whole, totality, and how no matter what, we should walk in holiness. And I'll explain that at the end of his testimony. And and this is just his words from the book, but also from some sermons I, I saw him preach. That, that he said that, that growing up, he, he is an Asian uh, man, and growing up, he didn't enjoy sports, but he enjoyed playing the piano. And as a kid, as a child, all the boys made fun of him because he didn't play ball, he played piano, therefore they called him effeminate. And, and then when he was about nine years of age, he stumbled in uh, to some pornography, and he found pornography, and it... When he looked at it, it unlocked some things in, in his life that, that he had never seen and never thought about. And, and it unlocked some things. And it said for the years following that, that pornography mastered him. That he couldn't get rid of the images and he just longed for more. At the age of 16, he had his first same-sex experience. And from 16 to 20, he practiced a same-sex relationships until he was 20 when he came out of the closet. And uh, continued to practice same sex, but, but lived it out loud for everybody to know. At the same time, he also got into a drug habit. And he was heavily invested into, into using drugs. And to help pay for his drug habit, he began to sell drugs. And that was the life he was living. Chasing his own sexual desires, using drugs, and selling drugs. The whole time, his mom and dad were praying for him. Now, his mom and dad, they didn't grow up Christians. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, but, but later in his uh, elementary to teenage life, his mom and dad found Christ, and his mom began to pray for him. And the only thing that she prayed over and over and over was that her son would come to know who Jesus Christ was. Well, from, from in his 20s, he went to um, school down in Louisville, and he was three months from graduating with his doctorate degree when he got busted. 
And the dean had him in his office and was going to dismiss him, expel him because of his drug addiction and for selling drugs. His mom and dad actually came down to a meeting, and they were meeting. It was Christopher Yawn, his mom, his dad, and the dean. And, and, and Christopher thought, I'm going to get off because the, the dean and my dad are really good friends, so surely my dad's going to put in a good word for me. I'm only three months away from getting my doctorate, but I'm going to be fine. But his mom said this, sir, I don't care if you expel him or not. The only thing I care about is that he surrenders his life to Jesus. It's my only prayer. And you can imagine, that made him mad. Because like, he's wanting to graduate, but his mom just said, the only thing I'm doing is praying for you. And that makes him mad. So when he gets expelled from school, they go back to Chicago. And rather than him going to Chicago, he goes down to Atlanta. And while he's down in Atlanta, he continues to run in his sexual practices to the point where he says, every night I was going to a different club, sleeping with somebody different every night. And at the same time, I was using drugs and selling them um, across 10 different state lines while his mom continued to pray. Just curious, anybody ever seen the movie War Room? Okay. That movie was based off his mom's prayers, okay? Now, the storyline, if you know the movie, doesn't go that direction, but the plot of the idea was based on this mom who just wouldn't stop praying for her son. And she kept praying, Lord, somehow, some way, help my son come to Christ. Well, the next thing you know, he's living in Atlanta, he's selling drugs, he's doing all this, and a knock comes at the door. But it wasn't a knock of somebody spreading Jesus or, or wanting to tell him about Jesus. It was actually a bunch of DEA agents who arrested him on drug trafficking, put him in jail, and he was sentenced to multiple years in prison. While he was in prison, he was walking by a trash can one day, and he saw a little Gideon Bible. So he picked up the Bible and he took it to his room, not because he wanted to read the Bible, not because he wanted to know who Jesus was, simply because he wanted something to do to pass the time. But he opened up the Bible as he sat on his bed and he opened it to the book of Mark and he started reading and he says, as I started reading this, this book of Mark, it just captivated me. Like something took over and I, I just couldn't put it down and I just longed for the words and I longed to meet this man named Jesus. I longed for everything it was telling me. It was changing me and I didn't even understand it. Now to me, that makes total sense. Because God's word does work. Anybody agree with that? Yes. Right? We talked about that last week. That God's word will affect you personally. And for him, he's reading it. He doesn't understand it all, but he's just he's longing for, to, to know more about this Jesus guy. So he keeps reading the Bible. And then one night, as he's laying in bed, he looks on the top bunk. And somebody had written with a sharpie, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. Which Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And Christopher Yawn would say between that verse and the verses he was reading in the Bible, he couldn't help but surrender his life to Jesus. When nobody else, not the help from anybody else, he surrendered his life to Jesus right there in that jail cell. And he said, Jesus, I want to live my life for you. I want to give my life to you. And then he just kept reading God's word. Yet... The whole time, he's still struggling with his identity. Because for all of his life, he has lived 
with this same-sex attraction and practiced it. And as he's reading, he's going, I, I, I feel like now that I've surrendered my life to Christ, I don't know if this is right or if this is wrong. And then as he's reading, he's, he said that he read three verses from the Old Testament and three verses from the New Testament. And he felt like, man, man I, I think I need to make some changes here. And so he went to the chaplain at the jail. And he, and he went to the chaplain. He said, hey, I've just recently given my life to Christ. But my whole life, I've I've had same-sex attraction and I've practiced it, but it seems like that is contradictory to the scriptures that I'm reading. I need some help to get past this. And he said the chaplain actually looked at him and said, actually, it's okay for you to walk out that relationship. And gave him a book and said, here, this book will help you. So then Christopher Yon went back to his jail cell. And again, these are his words, not mine. These are his words that I heard him say. He said, I sat on my bed in my jail cell, and with everything that is within me, with every desire, I wanted what was in that book to be true because I wanted to be able to continue to walk out my sexuality the way I wanted to. But as I opened it up and started reading a few pages, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came over me, and I realized I was reading a lie. So I put that book to the side, and I opened up God's word, and I simply read God's word. And the more I read God's word, I came to a stark realization that I am not what I chose to do, but I am a creation of God who was made as a child of God. And he said, I found my identity, not in my sexual practice, but in my relationship with Jesus. And as I dug into God's word, what I saw him saying, what I saw God saying is I needed to walk in holiness. And that's what he did. He ended up getting out of jail. Uh, he spent many years in jail, got his degree, uh, Bible college degree, went on to become a professor, um, and then wrote this book, Holy Sexuality. And in the book, this is what he says that I found my identity in Christ and realized that my sexual practice needed to be holy. And the only way to practice a holy sexuality is this. If you're single, be celibate. And if you're married, be faithful. And I want you to, I want you to lock in on those two statements because as I talk to you, you are one or the other. That you are either single or you are married. So for everybody in this room who is single or everybody watching online who is single, I want to say this. Be celibate. That if you look at your life and say, when it comes to my sexual practices, I'm going to be celibate because as a single person, sex is not for me. Maybe one day, but not today. It's not the right time. It's not the right place. So I'm going to avoid sexual experiences. Now, if you're married, which again is another half of us, myself included, then what we need to do is to have a holy sexuality, which simply means this, be faithful. That, that we don't allow porn, we don't allow adultery, we don't allow divorce, we don't allow lust to come into our lives that would break our faithfulness of our spouse. 
So practice a holy sexuality where I say that if I'm single, I'm celibate, but if I'm married, I'm faithful because I want to be holy like God, which takes us straight to 1 Peter. It says this, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That I want to walk out a holiness with God. So I want to challenge us. From teenager to, to adult, be holy when it comes to sex. You might say, okay, Josh, that's great. But if that's true, why do I still feel this way? I want you to hear, that's a good question. I'm not going to ignore those feelings. Those feelings are real. And remember, feelings aren't always reliable, but they're real. So if I feel this way, why do I feel this way if God wants me to be holy when it comes to sex and sexuality? Right? Well, why is it? Let, let's, let's tackle three real quick. And I'm going to fly through these, but real quick. Why do I feel this way? One, because we're sexual beings. I mean, here's the bottom line that every one of us, we are sexual beings, that we have some form of a sex drive, right? Now, for some of you, you have a very powerful sex drive. Others of you, your sex drive is, well, maybe a little bit neutral right now. Thank you <laughs> for being the one who was willing to laugh. But it's true, right? Right? Like some of us, it's like amped up, and others of us, it's maybe a little bit more, more even-keeled right now. That doesn't matter. The bottom line is, as humans, you will have a sex drive because God created us for a relationship, right? Go back to the book of Genesis. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, that he created us to be in relationship, that that. Then Adam ended up saying this. At last, the man exclaimed, this is one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. So it is natural for us to long to be in romantic relationships, sexual relationships. It's natural for us to long for that. Yet, there's a time. There's a proper way. There's a right way. So, so why do I feel this way? Well, because I have a sex drive. Secondly, why do I feel this way? Because we're tempted. That, that every one of us is tempted. How many of y'all have ever been tempted to do something? Okay, right now is when you should be raising your hands. Because we've all been tempted, right? Like my, my wife, Krista, she bought a package of Oreo mega stuff. Now, I had never had Oreo mega stuff before. Like double stuff is great. Yesterday I'm walking through the kitchen and I see a package of Oreo mega stuff. I'm like, what's that? I open it up and I'm like, oh. And I ate one. And two. And three. One row, two row, three row, the last row. And I'm hoping there's some when I get home today. I was tempted and I gave in. Right? Uh, let, 
Let's just talk about temptation for a second. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you sin. Let's make sure we know that. Why do I feel this way? Because I'm tempted. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're sin. you have sinned. If temptation automatically means you're sin, that you've sinned, then we're all screwed. And here's why. Because Jesus was tempted. And if temptation automatically equals sin, then it means Jesus sinned. And if Jesus sinned, none of us have any hope. Because, see, it was because Jesus was tempted and did not sin that he was able to die for our sins and save us from our sins because we've all sinned, because we've all been tempted and have said yes to that temptation. You see what I'm getting at? So, so what I want us to do is to recognize, sure, we have sinned, but temptation doesn't always have to equal sin. That I feel tempted to do that. Well, say no to it. That, that is first, excuse me, as James says it, uh, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Then I want you to see here that just a thought coming into your mind doesn't mean you sin, but allowing that thought to 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 stay there, to allowing that thought to become a focus, if I allow that temptation just to live inside of me, well then yes, it will give birth to sin. So what we have to do is we have to recognize the thought, recognize the temptation, and then fight it, as the book of Romans says. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Say, no, I'm not going to allow my mind, my eyes, my lips, my tongue, my hands, my body. I'm not going to allow any of it to be used as an instrument of sin. I'm going to fight that temptation. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Do what is right to say, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to walk in holiness. And then this last verse, the temptations in your life are no different from, the others, from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That, that I want you to notice this, that, that, that what, what Jesus is, has promised, what, what Paul is saying here, is that when we are tempted, we can recognize it, we can fight it, and we can conquer it. Because we can say no to it because Jesus gives us a way out. And that way out sometimes is simply fleeing, right? Like there was a guy in the Bible named Joseph and a lady uh, was coming on to him who wasn't his wife and was married to somebody else. And, and when that happened, he said, no thanks. And he fleed, he ran from that temptation. David from the Bible actually did the opposite. He stood on his roof, he saw a woman who wasn't his wife, but was somebody else's wife and called for her. When he should have said, that's not my wife, she's somebody else's wife, I'm going to turn my head, I'm going to walk away, God provided a way out. 
Here's the other way God provides a way out. Simply through the power of Jesus to walk in holiness. Look, go back to Christopher Yawn for a second. That, that he would tell you, if he was here, all right, I've heard him say it, that, that he still has attractions towards men. That he gave his life to Christ and it wasn't like that attraction was immediately taken away from him. He would tell you, no, I am still attracted sexually that direction. Yet I've made a decision to walk in holiness. And Jesus gives me the power to walk in holiness because what I want to do is please him. So you might be tempted to look at porn. Notice it's a temptation and you can have the power through Jesus to walk in holiness. You might be tempted or tempted to, to enter into an emotional affair or a physical affair with somebody else. But through the power of Jesus, you can walk in holiness. That you might have the temptation to sleep with your boyfriend or sleep with your girlfriend. But through the power of Jesus, you can walk in holiness. That know that you might feel a certain way, but you don't have to give in to that temptation. I feel that way. Why? Because I have a sex drive. I feel that way because I'm tempted. Here's the last one. I feel that way because I've been lied to. That we've bought into a lie that simply because of how I feel, that must mean who I am. Therefore, I must do. And again, remember, feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. And people might be saying, well, if that's how you feel, then that must be who you are. And if that's who you are, then, then you have the freedom to act that way. Well, that's how you feel, so you get to sleep with them. That's how you feel, so that's who you must be. That, that again, don't buy into a lie. As the book of Romans says, don't, don't trade in the truth of God. It says here, they traded, in, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. And I believe that we've hit that place in, in our world right now where we go, well, this is how I feel, so this is what I must do. And we end up worshiping ourselves rather than worshiping God. And we buy into a lie. Well, I feel this way. That must be who I am. Let me, let me share something with you that five months ago when I wrote this sermon, I said, I need to share something. And I want you to know this is my opinion. It's totally my opinion. I have no statistical data to back this up except for personal experience. If you know me at all, you know that, that my whole life, I've dedicated my whole life to serving high school students, young adults. That's what I've done my whole life. And I might be a lead pastor of this church, but if you know me, you know I'm still function like a student pastor, all right? Because I love our students and our young adults. And for 30 years, I've sat with students in my office, in a lobby at church, in a coffee bar, on a baseball field, in a locker room, and we've talked. 
And I'm not going to say I've had this conversation a hundred times with students. I'm going to say I've had this conversation well over a thousand times with students. And what I've come to find, especially in maybe my last 10 years of ministry, especially the last 10, but probably 15, that I have more and more girls who I'll have conversations with who will say, I think I'm same-sex attracted. I I would venture to say it this way, and this is the reason I say I have no statistical data. This is just totally personal experience. My guess is more than 50% of girls who are this gen have had at least a thought or a temptation of same-sex attraction. A thought of like, I wonder if I am. A temptation of maybe I could or have even had an experience. And this is what has happened in every one of those conversations that I have with them is they'll say, well, I must be same-sex attracted because I've had a temptation towards it. Or I must be because I've had a thought. And what I want to say is one, don't feel like you're alone and you're on an island. You're in a safe place where you can have conversation. But secondly, don't think just because of a temptation or a thought, that's who you are. See, that's where I'd say the, the world or, or, or people or things or whatever has lied to you because you think just because I thought something, just because I did something, then that must be who I am. And I'd like to kind of throw this thought up there for you. It would, would be this, is that don't confuse what you do or what you think with who you are because that will always lead to confusion on what is right and it'll just diminish your self-worth. That, that if you've sat and wondered, well, am I this, am I that? Like, like if you base your identity off of what you've done, and this could go for any area in life for any person, right? Like, I'm a thief. I'm a liar. I'm a crook. Or we could go down sexual practices. Well, that's who I am. No, who you are is a creation of God created in the image of God as a child of God to give glory to God. That's who you are. That's what you've done. And because maybe that's what you've done or maybe it's only what you've thought, don't allow that to to dictate your identity and don't allow that to dictate your self-worth. Instead say, as a child of God, I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm just going to walk with God. As Romans 12 says, says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That basically you look at your, your, your life and you say, because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, because of what Jesus has done for me in my life, I am going to live as a holy sacrifice. It doesn't matter how I feel. I'm going to do what is right. And what is right is for me to walk in holiness. 
because I want to do that as an act of worship. And then look at the next verse. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will. I want to know what's right. I want to know how to walk. Well, transform my life in the way I think. Offer my body as a living sacrifice, and then I'll know God's will. And look at what God's will is. It is good. It is pleasing. It is perfect. God's will for you is good. God's will for you is pleasing. God's will for you is perfect. So walk in that. And I'm going to invite you to do that as we go into this time of response. For some of us, what that means is you're going to come up front and you're going to take communion maybe where you're going to grab that piece of bread and that cup of juice and you're going to say, Jesus, I, I've recognized some things that have been wrong and I want to say no to that. I just want to walk in holiness. So maybe take communion today saying, Jesus, I just want to do what's right. Not based off how I feel, but based off what is right. For others of you, you need to be like, like Christopher Yawn, and, and you need to surrender your life to Jesus today. Because you know I've been walking in this way that was not holy. I've been walking in a way that was based on my own happiness, not on his holiness. And today is a day that you can make a change. Today is a day where you can say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life to you. And I just want to honor you with all things. So I'm going to ask you, why don't you go ahead and stand up with me right now? And I want to invite you to respond. Like I said, maybe through communion, myself, uh, one of our prayer counselors is going to be over in this connect corner right there. We would love to pray with you. Pray with you about whatever it is that you're going through or to pray with you about surrendering your life to Jesus. Will you walk in holiness as a living sacrifice to him? Let's respond, church.